in the story of Daniel, we turn our attention to chapter 3, and I want to just remind you that as you look at chapter 3, we begin this incredible picture of what it's going to be like for us in our walks with the Lord as we make the choice to stand when others bow. The key word in this chapter is very easy to see, and it is the word worship. Innate within humankind, within mankind, is the desire to worship, the propensity to worship. In other words, we actually will do it. The only question is, who or what? It's not if. People worship. The question is who or what? And in our world today, we have all kinds of things vying for our worship. The word worship itself, whether you look at it in the original language of Hebrew or Greek, in Greek, proskaneo, in Greek, shakah, means exactly the same thing, and actually the word worship is repeated here in the book of Daniel Um, Because when it says to bow down, that is also to worship. So in your English Bible, uh, you're you're going to see the phrase, they either did not bow down or they did bow down. And then it will be followed by or preceded by worship. Both mean worship. In other words, it's worship, worship. Because to bow down one's heart is to worship. It's to put yourself prostrate before something. In an ancient sense, it could have been an idol or a carved image, a graven image, a god, if you will, with a little g. But in our day and time, worship can be power, can be passion, can be possessions, position. It can be many things that we would bow our hearts down to. In other words, subjecting ourselves to something or someone. And here in Daniel chapter 3, we certainly see this great king who, in the last several verses of chapter 2, has actually admitted that there is no God like Daniel's God. But that is typical of the world. The world says what it needs to say, and it does so only to get a desired result. And we're going to see that Nebuchadnezzar obviously does not worship Daniel's God. But instead will turn his attention to himself. And I would remind you that when you look at the fall of Satan, which is found in Isaiah chapter 14, um, the fall of Lucifer, the, the, the bright, the morning star, And it says there about him, the problem with Lucifer himself, with Satan himself, and I believe it's a reference to when Satan was still an angel of light. Lucifer, it says, I will ascend unto heaven in verse 12, verse 13. It goes on to say, for I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation. In other words, I'll sit on high. That was how in those days the the person who was giving the message, much like we would say the platform's a little higher than the pews, 
He said, I will sit in the mount of the congregation on the furthest sides of the north, and I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And then finally in verse 14 of Isaiah 14, I will be like the most high. In other words, he's making a direct equivalence of himself. Mankind is made to worship. And unless we worship the true and the living God, we're always worshiping something less than the true and the living God, and or we may well be worshiping ourselves. And so here in chapter three, we'll pick up the first 18 verses and a message that I've entitled, The Courage to Stand. Let's pray and ask the Lord to minister through his word. Father, we thank you. Lord, I thank you for those in this room that maybe even today, but certainly throughout the week as they turn their attention to their jobs, maybe their professions, are making the choice to stand when others bow. They're saying no to the world's ways and all that comes with it. Lord, the price that is paid for standing when others bow. Lord, the world is trying to get us to bow the knee. Uh, And Lord, we desire to stand just as Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego We'll do in this passage tonight. And so we just give you our attention, our full attention tonight. God, would you please speak to your church, enable us to hear and understand, and most importantly, to obey what your spirit would say to us tonight. And we ask these things in the beautiful name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. I want to read all 18 verses, and then we're going to come back and highlight them. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width was six cubits. This is a very bizarre kind of an avatar alien looking creature. Uh, Normally in a human perspective, uh, this thing's abnormally skinny, 90 feet high and about nine feet wide. So the width of an average parking space, except here in LA, they're like three feet But he made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and width was six cubits. And he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps. That word actually means uh, governor of a a satrap. It's like a regional ruler. So it is similar to a governor, but more maybe like a mayor would be a better way to look at it. The administrators, the governors, the counselors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And so this is a political gathering. One might say that it takes place in in the houses of government initially. And the So the satraps, the administrators, the governors, counselors, the treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And so it's very clear that there is 100% compliance to this order. Every single person that is invited shows up. And every single person that shows up initially stands up. And this is kind of the way the world works still to this day. The world calls, 
the people come. And then a herald cried aloud, to you it is commanded. And now the reason that this next phrase is phrased the way it is, I believe, is because these that have come represent everyone else. This would be the equivalent of going here in the United States, you'd have the executive branch, so President Trump and Vice President Pence, and then you would have the Senate, and you would have the House, and you would have the nine Supreme Court justices all gathered together, along with the governor of every state, and probably the mayors of all the major cities, and they would be together in one place, and then this herald comes out and says, to you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages. So whoever you represent, this is for every person that's in your jurisdiction. That at the time you heard the sound of the horn and the flute and the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down, shakab. You bow yourself down and worship again, shakab. You shall shakab and shakab. The gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship, you see it over and over and over again, pay homage to the image. Whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. So at that time when all of the people heard aloud the sound of the horn and the flute and the harp and the lyre, and I want you to see a little a little difference in, in what's happening here. It goes initially to the leadership and then it goes to all the people. So the leaders are tasked with taking this information back in essence to all that is called Babylon at the time. Everyone is under the same dictate. And when all the people heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the symphony with all kinds of music, all the people, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshipped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And therefore at that time certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. And so it's going to be very, very, very critical that you see what's going on here. And they spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, you talk about kissing up to the king. Now we have something we need to tell you. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and the psaltery and symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down, whoever doesn't worship, shall be cast in the midst of the burning furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. He says, he says look, we're your faithful servants. We're the ones who do this willingly. We, we got your message. We took it back to the people and we're doing some serious bowing. We love you, king. But these guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. I do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Now, I want you to notice something. 
That ought to be exactly what goes on every last one of our tombstones. We refuse to bow down. We would not worship. We would not bow. We stood when everyone else bowed. This is what it means to really be a follower of Jesus Christ in our world today. Because the world is going to ask you to bow in about every imaginable way. And we'll dig into a few of those things tonight. And then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego so that they brought these men before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods nor worship the gold image which I have set up? Now I want you to notice something. He had just said that Daniel's God is the supreme God. He said, Your God, Daniel, is the God of gods. And so this is what the world does. The the world will acknowledge that Jesus is. The world may even acknowledge that Jesus, at least to many, is Savior. But the world will not bow its knee to King Jesus. The world worships its own gods. And now if you are ready... At the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, the symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. That's awesome. It's what you should do. It's what everybody else does. But, circle it, but if you do not worship You should be cast immediately into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. That's a very nice way of saying, not happening. Not going to do it. Don't care what you say. There are some other things which we will not use from the pulpit. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. He will deliver us from your hand, O King. But if not, I want you to see the faith with which these guys are speaking. But if not, we know he can, but if he chooses not to, can your God heal cancer? Yes, he can. But what if he doesn't? Can your God fix your financial problem? Yes, he can. But what if he doesn't? Can your God heal your marriage? Yes, he can. But what if he doesn't? You see, it's important that you think in this construct. God can do anything. He is the God of the impossible. He can take something that's impossible. He absolutely can do it. But nowhere in his word does he ever promise anyone that every time we get into a situation where it's going to be dangerous for us as believers, 
that he is necessarily going to deliver us out of that trial, he may well let us die. If you don't believe that, ask your brothers and sisters in Iraq and Iran and in Pakistan and in Myanmar and in most of the northern half of Africa. I'm sure they pray daily, God, please save my family. Lord, don't, we don't want to die if we don't have to die for your glory. And yet the Lord does not always deliver. This is so important for us to get. So I want you to see the prayer that really they're offering to the Lord as they say these words. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. Circle is able. He can. But they are not imposing upon God anything. They're not telling God God has to. They're believing God can. They leave God in God's place. We believe he is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. Do you see the slight change there? doesn't say he will deliver us from the fiery furnace. It says he will deliver us from your hand, O king. You see, this leaves open the same door that Abraham saw. As Abraham raised up that knife to plunge it into Isaac, he had to believe one of two things. Either somehow that it was not going to strike and kill him, or if it killed him, he was going to be raised from the dead. One of those two things had to be in view. But Abraham simply believed God. Didn't tell God what to do. He said, God, I so trust you. If you have to kill my son, then you will raise him from the dead. Or you can spare my son, and it'll just be a magnificent picture of your grace. And so these young men... If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, now I want you to see a third thing. If he chooses to do neither of those two things, if he does not save us from the fiery furnace, and even if he does not deliver us from your hand, O king, check it out. Let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. That is holy boldness, magnified in a way like I believe does not exist really in any other part of scripture. These are three men that wholly trust the Lord in exactly the right way that every last one of us should trust the Lord. Lord, I believe you can do anything. I trust you to let happen what happens, and no matter what you do, I'm not bowing to the world. No matter what you allow in my life, if I go to jail, if I go to prison, you know, we've got another round of crazy laws in our state. We, we have, we've set some kind of record in the state of California for anti-God laws. And one of these days, they're going to catch up with your pastor and our pastoral staff, and we're going to be put in a position where highly likely we're going to have to choose between doing what the state says and going to prison. Uh, are we going to stand in that day and time when, when somebody comes in and says, you know what, you, these two men want to get married, you have to marry them? And the answer is going to be no. We're going to prison first. Somebody comes and says, well, you know, you, you, have, to, you, know, you have to support these things 
And you have to allow for these children to be, their lives to be taken through abortion. No, I'm not paying for that, sorry. I'll go to prison first. We're gonna be forced to make some choices here, I believe soon. The question is, are you gonna make those choices like these three guys do? Are you going to stand when everyone else bows? Look at the word worship. Follow it, trace it. God had, for his own reasons, and I think it's important for us to acknowledge that simple fact, God does what God does for his own reasons, amen? And I don't, has anybody else gotten a phone call from God this week, you know, to where he just dialed you up and said, hey, could you, uh, could you kind of fill me in on what's happening because I really don't know, I kind of need your help with this? No, God doesn't, God doesn't dial us up. God does what God does because he's God. He, he, he could check in, but he has no need. And in that sense, God, Yahweh, as they would have known him at that time, was, was determined to, to reveal his plans to a pagan monarch. And that pagan monarch got it. Nebuchadnezzar actually got it. Daniel, there's no God like your God. But that doesn't mean his heart's going to change. People can recognize the truth and do nothing with it. That's the world we live in. I am sometimes shocked. We have another bill going through our state right now that will penalize people like myself for sitting down and talking with someone who has same-sex attraction and, and telling them what the Bible says. That it is not God's desire for you. It is not God's design for you. That it leaves you in a place that if you continue in this unrepentantly, you would be outside of God's grace. If I tell them the truth and then say, but God can heal you of this just like he can heal an awful lot of other things that plague people's hearts and minds that they've struggled with for a very long time. There, there's a grave potential that this next round it's going to go through. We've already voted down two or three of these things in the last year and a half. Someday that's going to go through. If the Lord doesn't miraculously intervene. That's the direction our country's going. Pastors are going to be forced to look at God's word and say, I will not bow. Most of the world's doing what? Bowing. They're bowing the knee. They're saying, well, you know, it's just not worth the fight. The reason it's not worth the fight is because they love the world more than they love God. Because if you love God, it's worth the fight. Because his word is true and every man is a liar as far as the Bible is concerned. What he says will stand. The question is, will we stand with God? These first several chapters, we see how kind of God is setting this whole stage for us. In chapter one, King Nebuchadnezzar learns there's a God in heaven who, who can take four teenagers and turn them into superheroes, basically. Now, we look at our world today and say, oh, you know, I'm not voting for that guy. He's 12, you know. <laughs> God is that able. In the second chapter, is a God in heaven who, who can use dreams and reveal secrets, mysteries. 
And here we find there's a God in heaven who works on behalf of his people and no matter how bad it looks, he will be with those who obey him as opposed to bowing to the world. That's a hard choice, family. That is a hard choice. And as you look at this kind of unfold, this story, you're going to see some tests, you're going to see some choices, and you're going to see God's sovereignty working together. You know, sometimes we think that those things are somehow disassociated, but it is my strong conviction that God in his marvelous plan not only gives man completely free will, but he also governs the universe totally and completely so that the things and the choices that we make uh, work perfectly, ultimately, with his plan. And so perhaps the easiest way to look at that is that he doesn't overrule our choices in the sense that we're still allowed to make them. He uses those choices ultimately to do exactly what he wants to do. So on one hand, we're free to move and live and breathe and do whatever we want. On the other hand, you cannot thwart the Almighty. People have been arguing over that issue, God's sovereign plans and how it works out with man's free will for a very long time. We're not going to solve it, nor will we probably add anything new to the conversation tonight. But I can tell you, I've watched a sovereign God use unthinkable things ultimately for his good. Exactly as Romans 8.28 says. Exactly as we saw when we finished up the book of Genesis in Genesis 50. That which the enemy meant for evil, God used for good. God works together all things to and for the good. For those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. There's a condition there. The people who love God see God work things together for the good. People who do not love God get what they get. God's hand is on his children. But God's grace is sufficient in each one of those areas where we're put in these kind of tests. In chapter one, you saw a test of unclean food, right? It's like, look, here's all the goodies. You can have, you know, you can go to Ruth's Chris with the king, or you can go over here and have bugs with these guys. They're saying, we'd rather eat bugs than than eat the stuff the king's eating if it means we have to bow to the king. Chapter 2, we see this unfair decree that goes out that you kind of look at it and you're like, man, that's just not even cool. How how, how could God, and, and don't we wonder these things? You guys ever wonder these things? It's like, man, why does God allow that in that person's life? I mean, they've already stood. They've already done the right thing. They're walking with you, God. Why don't you just keep them from being in that situation in the first place? Anybody ever do that? Yeah, I do. I do. I think most Christians do. I think most believers look at the things that God allows and go, man, I just don't know why God would allow that. Here's the good news. You don't have to. Because God is so good that even when he allows horrible things to happen to good people, he still has good in mind because his thoughts towards his children are always good. Amen? They are never evil. They're always a future and a hope. Jeremiah 29, 11 says they are to bring us forth into that future that he has for us. And so no matter what's going on, those tests produce in us the character of Christ. 
The world caves. The world bows. The world does what the world always does. It exercises its free will in such a way that that it causes no harm to the, the person that's making the choice. And so this enormous golden idol that's standing in the plains of Dura now, and I want you to put this into perspective. This is as tall as an eight-story building. An eight-story building. It's roughly 90 feet tall. It's about nine feet wide. It's kind of grotesquely. It's a skinny, golden, you know, bizarre image that I think actually was to represent King Nebuchadnezzar's original vision. But the difference is this. Do you remember what was said about King Nebuchadnezzar? Daniel said to him, you are the head of gold. And so what does he do with this image? He makes the whole thing out of gold. It's like, no, there's not going to be any other kingdom. There's not going to be any other king. I'm going to defy the dream itself. I'm not going to listen to Daniel's God. I'm going to play by my own rules. And so I'm going to make an idol that's actually 100% gold. And we'll see how that works out for you. This is what the world does with the word of God constantly. It's like the Bible says, the word says, the word of the Lord is, and the world comes along and says, now nah, we're not buying that. We're going to change the rules. We're going to make it so that you can't ultimately, when it gets down to the tribulation, that you can't buy and sell unless you've worshipped the image of the beast, unless you've taken the mark. There's some serious things coming eventually to our world. It's always been that way. The question is, who will you worship? What will you worship? The world's crying out. The Nebuchadnezzars of our day and time are crying out. They're acting exactly as the Romans did. And I want you to see this. Whenever you see anything that's created, and this is fairly universal whenever you have a design in anything you're going to see the imprint of the designer design implies designer ultimately things don't make themselves matter doesn't organize itself it doesn't become more ordered it tends towards chaos and so anytime you have anything designed there is a purpose and it came from the designer so there's a purpose for why nebuchadnezzar makes this image look the way it does And I believe he's exalting himself. He hears what Daniel says. He realizes that Daniel has gotten a word from a God that's way up on the food chain of gods. And he says, but I don't really want to worship Daniel's God. Because Daniel's God is not like Marduk, the God of the Babylonians. And so it plays into this picture in Romans chapter 1, there in verse 21, because although they knew God, what did Nebuchadnezzar say? Daniel, there's no God like your God. In Romans 1, Paul writing to the Roman Christians says, although they knew God, they did not glorify God, nor were they thankful, but they became futile in their thoughts. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and they changed the glory of the incorruptible God. Sound like any place that we've just read in the book of Daniel? Not much changed. In the nearly 600 intervening years, 
The Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Rome, says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like a corruptible man. What does Nebuchadnezzar make? An image of a corruptible man. And then just to make sure that we understand it, in birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. And ultimately, the Apostle Paul said, and so they worship the creation rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. You see, design implies designer. And so if you create something that is, that is in essence the worship of man, then, then all it will ever be is what man can do and what man can think. Nebuchadnezzar saw God, saw it revealed in how Daniel understood the dream and interpreted the dream. And yet he's already forgotten that. And so I think he makes this image to express his own desire to say, look, I'm going to make myself God. And I think that may be the biggest problem that we face in our world. We try and make ourselves God. We please ourselves. We set our own rules. We believe ultimately that we can kind of change the destiny of our own lives. When, when God is basically saying, no, look, this is my world. You play by my rules. I can actually understand the king's rationale. But it still makes him unequivocally wrong. He's going down the wrong road. He's messing with God. And even though man might be the maker of an idol, there might be a religion that goes along with it, ultimately every bit of idolatry is demonic. It, it comes from the fallen one. It goes, it goes back to Isaiah 14, basically. And, and in a very prophetic way, when you look at this passage, you can almost see exactly the same mindset that we know one day in Revelation 13 is going to come to this world when the Antichrist sets up an image of, guess who? Himself. And says, everybody needs to worship me. Now here's the crazy thing. And I've always found this tremendously interesting, but it fits exactly the world that we're in, in a global sense. The Antichrist, when he comes on the scene, initially is not going to be a man of war. He's not going to be some really evil dude. He's actually going to look like an emissary of peace. He's going to come with a plan to reconcile Israel back to the world. He's going to set a peace treaty with those nations that have gathered against Israel. He's going to be the hero to the entire world. He's going to solve three crises. One is the global economic process that's going on right now, whereby nobody's money is worth anything. I, I have in my desk a stack of $100 trillion notes from Zimbabwe. They have had like the world's most runaway inflation. Can you imagine? I have, a hunt, I have several hundred trillion dollar notes. They're worth like five tenths of a cent. They're worth nothing. So the, the Antichrist comes along, and like we're, we're still kind of looking at the US dollar and go, eh, the US dollar's pretty strong. The euro's about the same. You've got a few currencies. The new Israeli shekel is, is up there a ways. But the problem is they're all different. You know, it's kind of a bummer that the U.S. dollar and the euro aren't the same and the new Israeli shekel and the, 
German Deutschmark and the Swiss franc, and you've got all the euros for all of Europe that are the same, supposedly, but then you have a country like Switzerland that doesn't even recognize the euro. It's a mess. Imagine somebody comes on the scene. I got a way to fix that. Imagine somebody comes along and manages somehow to unite Islam, Roman Catholicism, Protestant Christians, Hinduism, animism, Shintoism, Buddhism, and now everybody's worshiping the one God. You think that guy would be pretty popular? I do. You you see, what's going to eventually happen is that image is going to get set up in Jerusalem. And all you got to do is bow. That's been Satan's problem the whole history of humanity. Just bow. What did Satan say to Jesus? Bow. Just bow down and worship me. Turn these stones into bread. Huck yourself off this cliff. It's okay, angels will get you. Just just worship. I'll give you all the kingdoms. Just bow. So does it make sense that the world is vying for your attention so that you will bow to the kings of this world? You'll bow to drugs. You'll bow to alcohol. You'll bow to pornography. You'll bow to those things which captivate the hearts of man, which have been crafted in the image and likeness of man, but not in the image of God. That's exactly what our world is still facing. That problem is going to get solved when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords comes again. And until that time you are going to have the chance to be Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You're going to get a chance. The Antichrist is going to be here when we're not here. If you love the Lord, praise God. He's not appointed us under wrath, but under salvation. When that time comes, the church is going to be in heaven. But until then, the world is going to cry out, bow. Bow the knee. And so the command goes out for that exact thing. Bow down, proskuneo, shakah. And I want you to notice something. Nebuchadnezzar is stunned that they won't do it. He's like, are you kidding me? Did you not hear what I said? Do you not know who I am? Do you not know that I can bring the full weight and power of the United States of America through the IRS down on you? And yes, that is how the church is being attacked currently. It's like, bow. We want you to cave in. We want you to do things our way. Otherwise, we're going to take away your tax-exempt status. Here's my saying to that. Have at it. There may come a point in time we need to meet in the parking lot. There, there may come a point in time, I don't know, I pray not. But we're either going to stand or we're going to bow. That's it. There's two options. There's no in-between. And here's why we know this. Because everyone, when they heard this symphonic noise that went on, this music that was about this golden image, everyone bowed. Can you imagine 
all the governors, all the satraps, all the administrators, all the people mentioned there, more than likely thousands of people ultimately. And every last one of them's on their face and here's four Hebrew boys. They're boys, mind you. They're not adults. They're they're kids. And here's all these guys in their robes. They're wearing their finery. They're on their faces. And there's four Jewish boys going, "Mm -mm, not happening. We're not bowing. Would you be in that group? Are you going to sacrifice truth on the altar of expediency? Are you going to take a stand for it? Are you going to trust what God's word says and actually tell people what it says? Or are you going to bow down? We're in a world that is demanding that we bow down. Basically, there's three components. Fear man or fear God? Who do you fear? I fear the Lord. And I'm in no way, shape, or form asking for the world to come screaming into my life and you know put any more pressure on us as a church or me as a person i'm simply saying this is the test this is the one we're going to face all right every time you do your taxes who are you going to serve jesus said render under caesar the things that are caesar's and under god the things that are god's One of the things that the IRS wants to do is take away the tax exemption for giving for your charitable contributions. Are you still going to give if they do that? Are you still going to faithfully give if they do that? Because you know what? There are a lot of people that give because it's tax deduction. You you see, you're going to either bow or you're going to stand. You say, no, that's not why I do that. I do that because I honor the Lord with my first fruits. So the question becomes, God is able. We saw it. Is he going to actually deliver us out of this or is he going to deliver us through this? Do you know the difference between those two things? Out of it means that we don't want God to let it happen and through it means he lets it happen and we give him glory anyway. You wonder why James said, count it all joy, brethren, when you fall into diverse trials, knowing the testing of your faith produces patience, and patience, when it has its completed or perfect work in you, leaves you lacking nothing. You know why that is? Because things like this will add immeasurable growth like nothing else. When life is easy, we don't really have to grow. You know, when you, when you don't go through difficult times, you kind of sit around, you kind of put it on cruise control, right? You know, one of the beauties of driving across the, the, some of the roads as you head, you know, east, and you get out of Southern California away from the freeways, you get out there in those long, straight desert roads, you can put that thing on 80 miles an hour, you could go to sleep, and you'd still wake up right in the middle of the lane. The road never changes. You might have run over a lizard or two, but nothing much that's going to be really bad is going to happen. Everybody seems like has that eyesight thing that kind of determines where the edge of the road is. You're just kind of like snoozing 85 miles an hour on cruise control. A lot of the church is 85 miles an hour snoozing on cruise control through life. 
It's just like nothing bad's happening. It's like everything's cool. What are you going to do when you have to punch the cruise control off and you've actually got to drive? Because stuff keeps jumping in front of you. Something major jumped in front of these guys. And so there was a command, bow down. Might just ask yourself, what would you have done? The next thing that we see is kind of this conspiracy, this coercion to do that. And the herald cried out, to you it is commanded, O people. That's not a suggestion. That's not if you feel like it, you know, if you're not consciously objecting to it. You know, if this isn't something that really bothers you, you know, bow if you feel like it, it'll be okay. No, this is under the threat of death. So you either bow or die. You get fried alive, you get burned, or you bow, one of the two. And I want you to see something, and I I missed this, I think, probably the first couple of times I taught through Daniel. I want you to notice how the enemy kind of plays church in this whole thing. What does he do? Sets up a worship band. Gets a little symphony going. There's some kind of cool jazz, you know, blowing in the background. I don't know what's playing. But I know this. It's like the people are going, wow. Man, King Nebuchadnezzar has like a concert. I think like the Stones are going to play or something. I don't know. Mick Jagger's still alive. And even though he's a thousand years old, and, and all of a sudden, here's this, here's this music, and it's like, it's like rocking. Nobody's heard anything like this. And the music is just going, and everybody's like, oh, well, naturally, you know, because I'm really now in a mood to bow. I mean, after hearing that, I mean, how could that be wrong? I mean, listen to that. I've never heard a symphony like that coming out of all those instruments. This is the way Satan works. He counterfeits God. He makes things seem like they're good when in fact they're actually evil. He makes it seem like it's the right thing to do when in fact it's actually the wrong thing to do. And he puts just enough of a caveat on everything to where you begin to question whether you are thinking correctly or not because you're following God. It's like, well, you know, I don't really know if I heard from the Lord or not. Then you read your Bible and it says exactly what you ought to be doing. You go, no, I don't know that that's what that means. And you go and find somebody who will agree with you. No, I don't know that that's what that means. It's not really going to be that bad if we bow down. I mean, after all, we're going to be rich. After all, we're going to have a bigger house. After all, we're going to have a much longer time in retirement or whatever. There's going to be some bait that the enemy throws out at you. If you'll just bow, it's going to be really good right here, right now. Here's the problem. He doesn't tell you about the other side, which is the eternal side. He he doesn't say, well, it's going to be good for a little bit, but then it's going to be really bad. He tries to bait you in with some horns and flutes and harps and lyres and psalteries and symphonies and all kinds of music. Just, it's okay. Just chill. He, he tries really this conspiracy that plays to our emotions very often. Tries to get us engaged in it to where, you know, well, love is love. 
You know, just just live and let love. It's okay. Don't you know why make a big deal out of this? I mean, look around you. Everybody is bowing. You're the only four people in all of Babylon who think like you do. You kind of see how this might be coming our way in a few things? You're the only four people in all of the South Bay that think like that. You're the only church. Your pastor is nuts. And by the way, yes, I've gotten some emails that say exactly that with a few other words attached to it. I've been called a dinosaur. And I am. I'm a velociraptor for Jesus. It's like, don't get in my way, I'll eat you. No, and I'm not challenging anyone. I'm simply saying this is what the world does. It's always done these kind of things. It's tried to isolate God's people into such a small group that when the world starts to press in, you just give up. It's like, wow, I don't know if I want to, you know, I don't know if I want to fight if I, it's just me and three other guys. And we're going to learn that no matter whether it's you and nobody else, there's somebody else that's in that fire with you. Amen? And so the command is given. Bow or burn. And I think what happens is, is their emotions are stirred. And then the next thing that we see is kind of this conspiracy and this coercion that goes on. And, and the conspiracy is kind of, look at how the guys are talking. The, the certain Chaldeans come forward and they're going, man, have you, have you the, the guys that follow the God of Daniel? I mean, they're loopy. That's what's going to happen. You need to get ready for it. You need to realize that people are going to come against you. You're going to have issues in your life. Satan's looming behind the scenes. And the Chaldeans bring these three charges kind of against them. It's like, look, here, here's, here's the deal. They haven't regarded you, Nebuchadnezzar. They refuse to serve your gods. Are you going to let them challenge you like this? This is exactly what's happening to the church today. Are you going to let the church challenge you like this? Now, the question is, are we going to stand on what God says to stand on? That's the question. We've been challenging the world in its ways since day one, amen? Ask those who lost their life in the first century for the cause of the gospel. We don't know the actual number, but it's believed to be in the, in the many millions. Ultimately, it, it's going to cost us something to follow Christ. The third thing, they, they don't worship the golden image you set up. They can't be bought is another way to look at it. They, they want to serve God. This, they're serving this whole God thing. It's like it's gotten out of control. We need to really sit on these guys. And there are these three Hebrew men just standing alone. And one of the most courageous acts in all of the Bible, one of the greatest examples, very similar to Elijah with the prophets, as he stood on Mount 
Carmel is he the prophets of Baal are chanting it's like you know oh you know cutting themselves and getting after it Elijah looks at him how long are you going to stand between two opinions if Baal is God serve him if the Lord is God follow him that's the choice still the choice it's still the choice. If the world is God, follow the world. Bow down to the world. But if God is God, you need to follow God. And you need to stand when others bow. That's what we're going to be called to do in these last days. But the world is going to, like Nebuchadnezzar, speak with rage and fury. And they're going to accuse and they're going to try and shout down. They're going to come after. They're going to have their representative like Nebuchadnezzar and these men that were gathered around him. And they are going to put forth great effort to try and get us to bow the knee. It's going to be up to us what we do in that day and time. God's going to allow that test. I want you to see, notice what they said. If God allows it, so be it. If God delivers us out of it, praise the Lord. But if he doesn't, that's okay too, but we're still going to stand. Uh, And I pray that we would respond because just like Baal's prophets, 450 of them standing on Mount Carmel, you may be alone, just like Elijah. You may be alone in your workplace. Some of you are alone in your marriage. Some of you are alone in your family. You might be alone in your community, those that are closest to you. You might be the only believer in the workplace. What are you going to do? What are we going to do? Are you going to have the courage to stand? Verse 16 says, And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to tell you anything. You can kind of put a little snide in there. We don't have to tell you anything. Now, I don't know if they said it like that. They may have been completely respectful. But I like to think they were like, Nah, sorry. Not happening. Now, we respect you and all, but forget it. We have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve, our God whom we serve, our God whom we serve. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar, there's our God and there's you and your God and we serve our God. We do not serve you. We do not serve your God. That is boldness. That is reality in the life of the church. Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. You stoke that puppy up. Throw some extra fuel in there. We trust God. And he will deliver us from your hand. You say it can't be done. We say it can because we trust our God. And even if he doesn't, but if not, verse 18, then we just want you to know something. I like to paraphrase this. Just just saying. 
Just let me tell you what's up right now, Nebby. So I look, bro. Oh, king? King, bro. I don't know. It's like, oh, bro, the king, or something. I don't know. It's like, come on, man. Let me tell you what's up. What's up is Yahweh, Lord of hosts. And what's down is you. And we're not bowing. We do not serve your gods. Nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Look, that's all you, man. That stuff's you. That ain't us. I love Jesus' words. When the disciple asked him, it's like, man, we're, we're totally outnumbered. And Jesus said to the disciples, he says, look, in that time, there in Luke chapter 12, the Holy Spirit's going to tell you what to say. And I see that in these guys. I was like, I, they, they could not have rehearsed this. They didn't go back to their little hovel that they were in in Babylon and go, okay, well, what do we, you know, let's come up with something to curry favor with King Nebuchadnezzar. And instead of trying to gain favor with the king, they walked in and said, it ain't happening, king. We kind of talked amongst ourselves and we trust our God. We couldn't care less what you do. Man, can you imagine if every believer on the face of the earth had that attitude about everything that we do while we're here? Do what you want. We don't care. And I'm going to tell you something. Your actions will always speak louder than your words. So when these guys are standing there and everybody bows, and they're the only four guys standing, and there's the governors and the satraps and the administrators and all the people of all the nations, and everyone's bowing down, and the symphony's going, and the party's thrown, and everyone's goes, oh, this is great, you know, oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, and they're going, uh-uh. You can take your king, we're not bowing. Throw us in the furnace, we don't care. We'd rather be burned alive than bow the knee to you. And there's two things that principally stand out. And it's going to be true for you too, me too, us as the church. The will of God may be different than your desire and your prayer. The will of God may be different than your desire and your prayer. Will you stand no matter what? The will of God may be different. Can I tell you, I have prayed for countless people to live, be delivered, to be made whole, to not die, only to have them die. And I don't believe that's because my prayers have been without faith. I believe that the will of God was accomplished in that prayer. I prayed in faith and God chose to take them anyway. God chose to take them anyway. I have prayed for, for children. I was like, Lord, how can you let this happen? I, I have prayed the opposite of that. I've prayed and watched God deliver miraculously. Nevertheless, not Jeff's will be done. God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And God, no matter what you allow, I will stand.
That's hard. It's really hard. It's hard when those things seem to be maybe even punitive. And so they would stand. And the second thing, their obedience to the commands of the Lord was not conditioned on God doing them good. They said, well, well, we'll do what you want if you bless us. We'll serve you as long as you're good to us. As long as it doesn't cost us anything. If it costs us something, forget it. We're not serving. The world needs us to stand no matter what. To pay any price if necessary. And again, this is not a mortal sense of fatalism on my part or a wish for us as the church. It is clearly what is said in this passage of scripture about three guys that are immortalized for doing exactly one thing and that is standing when everybody else bowed. That's what God wants out of us. Jeremiah 11 says, I do not pray for this people nor offer any plea or petition for them because I will not listen for they call to me in their time of distress. God's speaking about the the Hebrew people. The only time they actually talk to God is when they got in trouble. You know, sometimes God just wants to hear from us because we love him. And I wonder sometimes if he doesn't uh, just, you know, uh, of course we talk to him when we're in distress. But how about the rest of the time? God's listening. This very thing may happen in our time, may happen in this nation. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? We know what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. What are we going to do? When the world knocks on the door and says, you have to, you have to bow. I pray that we have the courage to stand. That we'll dare to be like these guys. Because it's true, life is a vapor. Life here on this earth is short. And eternity is forever. And just like these guys, let's just serve God. No matter what. Amen? Would you stand and we'll close in prayer. Have a few of the pastors up front. Maybe you got something where the enemy's been knocking. You just need somebody to pray with you. Find a Shadrach, Meshach, or an Abednego to pray with tonight. Lift that burden up before the Lord and know that he is with you. And he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He may not always answer the way we want him to answer. But his answers are always right. He can't be thwarted. He's never wrong. And so trust him. Father, thank you for the power to stand. Lord, the the enemy has come and continues to push in on us as your church. And we believe in these last days that, Lord, we're going to be challenged even more and God that's not a morbid sense of 
of impending doom. That's just the reality of what your word says about the last days. That men will become lovers of themselves. Lovers of money rather than lovers of God. And nations will turn on nations. And wars and rumors of wars will be stirred up. We, we know things are going to get a little dicey. And so we pray that we would be strong, that we would stand when others bow, and that, Lord, our voices and our lives would be lived in a holy, reckless abandon for your king, your kingdom, Lord, for you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Amen.